0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and I have a quick question before we hop on over to the episode. Did you know that many physicians are overpaying taxes due to not leveraging their corporation effectively? I've seen cases where a physician is on track to lose out on millions of dollars in retirement because they're not using their corporation effectively. And if you are unsure, if you are making the most of the unique entity that is the professional corporation, creating a plan with me and my team of corporate planning experts might be a good move. If you're interested in a plan that shows you how to make the most of your corporation, save on taxes, secure your legacy, and create a thriving retirement, we can create a personalized, powerful plan for you for a flat fee with no hidden commissions, and there is no obligation for you to buy any products from us. If you want to know more, head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. Read up on what it covers and click on the book a call button to book a free call to explore whether a custom flat fee plan is a good fit for you. And now on with the show. All right, welcome everyone to this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth Podcast. I am joined by Eve Rodsky. Uh, Eve uh, is one of my favorite authors in the world, (laughs) uh, and we'll talk about why. Uh, So Eve, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, is a New York Times bestselling author of a book called Fair Play, which we're going to talk about, and another book called Unicorn Space, which we'll also talk about. Um, But yeah, no, Eve, thank you so much for joining me here. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, you know, we're one of my favorite couples, so I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And um, so I think, so I can talk a little bit about like, so I found out about you because my wife read a book called Fair Play and uh, she hinted that I should read it too. And uh, I didn't really listen for a while. And then finally I was like, okay, I'm going to read it. And I'd love for you maybe to to kind of um, give us a, a sort of a your summary of like what fair play is all about and how people have implemented it and then we can dive into maybe what that looks like in conjunction with what a lot of my audience do of uh, the reality of a lot of my audience if they are in a relationship sometimes uh one of them makes a lot more money than the other one or they have very different um sort of approaches to their profession so that's something we can dive into as well but yeah i'd love to hear first sort of that what you what you're up to
1: Well, thanks for having me again Um, and for your listeners, for hanging in, um, to listen to an author talk about you know housework and chores and losing interest in your own life, all of these sort of (laughs) dark topics. But Mm -hmm. as a lot of men tell me, I like to go dark to go light. So maybe I'll stay a little dark in the beginning and just say that for me, this was a personal journey, right? Galen, I didn't set out to be an expert on the gender division of labor that was not On my third grade, what do you want to be when you grow up bored? It definitely wasn't what uh, I answered when Elizabeth Warren asked us that question in our like Harvard Law School orientation. Um, But my own life uh, and midlife, my life stage of being in midlife, uh, I had a lot of breakdowns (laughs) uh, after my second son, Ben, was born. The first I talk about in Fair Play, which was uh, my husband, Seth, sending me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And we talked a little bit about that journey and when we talked before, Mm -hmm. but um, I felt very um, psychologically abandoned um, by my partner in um, his assumptions that because he made more money than me, uh, even though I'm more highly educated, but I chose a field, philanthropy, which doesn't get paid as much as private equity, Mm -hmm. that somehow that meant I would be um, in charge of everything in the home, childcare and housework and losing myself in the process and actually losing my career in the process. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because mm-hmm. then as I pulled back on my career and he got more um, successful, then those patterns kept perpetuating um, and was it was getting worse. And on the same time I was being abandoned by my workplace, uh, which was telling me that if I wanted to come back after my second son, Ben was born, that I would have to pump Breast milk in a closet, mm. um, and I would lose all my direct reports. So punishing me for being a mother, and on top of that, um, I felt psychologically abandoned and physically abandoned by my community uh, because being a parent is so isolating, especially in America where mm-hmm. we have no universal child care, we have no paid leave. Um, so that was a time in my life that I started to introspectively think about what was happening in my marriage because. I felt, Galen, that um, my only recourse at that time was, as one woman said to me, the way you get to a fair division of labor is just three words. And I was like, hanging on every word. I'm like, what are those three words? And she said, court-ordered custody. Mm. And that's when I realized like, I would be replicating the patterns of my parents because I grew up in a single mother household. So. Instead of doing all that, or leaving Seth, or eat, pray, loving it out of my marriage, because eighty-two percent of divorces are initiated by women,
2: mm. uh,
1: in our in one of the last surveys uh, on this area, I decided to um, sort of get my ass in gear and become my own client and solve my own issues around my marriage, and that's sort of how Fair Play um, originated. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's yeah, I remember that about your journey of, you know, this one event of like, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries and like the assumption that you were going to take care of all these things and how it like really kind of came to a head. And so there's really two things that um, I think are worth sort of noting is one of the things I really got from your book and certainly a pattern that I had fallen into with Emma was we just kind of ended up in this default state and we never had a conversation about what uh, who was going to do what around the house. And what it defaulted to is a concept that I love from your book, which was the uh, minimum standard of care, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is like, what is someone willing to like, What is someone willing to put up with? So like in our world, like, so post fair play, I'm in charge of the dishes. So I take care of all the dishes, but my minimum standard of care was I'm going to let them pile up until the end of the day and like clean them all up. And Emma's like, that drives me nuts. Like, I hate seeing the clutter. Like, I come downstairs, and just makes me feel like it's dirty. So we came to an agreement. Like, okay, I'm going to tackle them more regularly than once a day mm-hmm. because it doesn't work for her to just have them pile up like that. But we never would have had that conversation. Or who knows if we ever would have had that conversation if we hadn't read your book. So I think that's one thing uh, that I really got is I think a lot of people end up in sort of like a default. And from my understanding, like, at least from you know what I see is the default is that if it's a male, female couple in all likelihood the wife or the, the, the female partner is going to be the one who en- ends up doing more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think so many men, especially uh, these amazing men because fair play became a love letter to men, um, you know, really resonated with fair play because it's not a book about 50 50. And that's why the wall street journal, t- you know, took an op-ed for me um, because what i'm trying to explain is that i'm not here to tell you how to live Mm. that you're you have to have gender equity beliefs or even believe that um your time when you make the money for the household um is not more valuable than your partner's time who does unpaid labor i'm not really here to change attitudes but i am here to change behaviors and what i now know about studying uh especially heteronormative couples uh you know women married to men is that if a man is the one who makes all of the money Um, and there's a stay-at-home partner, Galen. Um, The assumption that that partner needs to handle everything else other than bringing in money is a recipe for a divorce. Mm. And we know that the only factor over 75 years that mattered to whether men were alive at 85 was the quality of their relationships at 55. So why this became a love letter to men is I want you to live and I want you to be healthy <laughs> yeah. and I want you to live as long as women. So if we can equate the fact that these small death by a thousand cuts, these mm-hmm. dishes in the sink, or in my case, being the fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs, if if we can recognize that, yes, I'm doing very important things for this family. I'm a breadwinner. If we can recognize that that conversation just doesn't work it doesn't work to default that one person does everything outside the home and one person does everything in the home. It just doesn't work. And I wish I could tell you it did, but those gender roles, unless they're really inculcated through through God and church, even then um, the people in my studies that are part of those churches still feel resentful and angry mm-hmm. about being in the relationship. So we just need a new way. It's not 50-50, yeah. but what I will say is that unpaid labor in the home, childcare and housework is more than a full-time job. Yes. It's way more than one full-time job. So we know that not one person can handle that all, and nor should they, because there's a lot of the cards. That's the metaphor. This is a card game. There's yes. 100 cards that make up what you what you can choose to do for your home. You don't have to do them all, like holiday cards. But when you discuss those cards and you recognize which ones have value, which ones you mm-hmm. want to hold, it changes everything, even if it's not 50-50.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I really like that. And it's a great reminder for me that like, yeah, that you're not, you're not necessarily for 50, 50, but what I'm hearing is like the value in a conversation around what's happening. And so like, and I, and I love the cards we have, you know, we have the physical cards and we literally laid them all out and our kids watched us like, you know, Mm slide them around and figure out who was going to cover what and which things we just don't do. Cause we don't really do tooth fairy stuff like that. So we're like, okay, cool. We don't need to worry about
2: that card. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we didn't have to worry about who was going to put the money under the pillow or whatever. Um, but like, so what would you say? Like, and I mean, and, and certainly in my case, like it was that Emma, you know, initiated the conversation and, um, you know, I think there was some trepidation there of like, wow, we've been together for like, I don't know, 15 years at this point. So it's like, are we really going to change anything at this point? Like, is it really going to work? You you know, Galen, is Galen going to read the book? So like, what do you think when it comes to like starting that conversation of, Hey, this just isn't working the way it's working. And as a follow up question. So like what's how to start the conversation and then like, what is the conversation to have after? Mm -hmm. Well, I work 60 hours a week in a clinic or whatever, like just, you know, tired as heck, like why should I do anything around the house? Like where do, where do we go with that conversation? And then also that thought process.
1: Well, the good news is there's a the secret formula. So we were sort of going dark, we can go light. <laughs> and the the secret formula is really one around boundaries, systems and communication. Mm. And I think you just said tooth fairy. So it sort of triggered a story. Um, and it happened sort of right around when we first talked. Did I tell you the Tooth Fairy story? About I'm, I'm, sig- I'm
0: kind of reminding it, but de- reminding it, remembering it, but definitely go yeah,
1: for it. Yeah, I think I'll go for it again if no yeah, one heard our it. first episode. But um, this was a couple who decided to play fair play during the pandemic. And it was a typical, not typical, um, because actually most couples are now dual earner. But it was a stay-at-home mother um, with two older children and... Um, and a, not older children, a uh, a six-year-old and um, someone in middle school and a, uh, a working dad, you know, working outside of the house father. And they decide to play. And one of the things that uh, Richard took on was a tooth fairy, which made me laugh when you said that that's mm-hmm. not a card in your home. But for them, magical beings, Santa, right. they even do lucky leprechaun because um, she has Irish family. <laughs> So I didn't know about that magical being, but apparently that's a thing. Um, So that was important to them. So the minimum standard of care was that they would do magical beings. That's one of a hundred cards. And so Richard said he would take it on. And she was like, great. Um, Because he had noticed actually he was doing more cards that fall in one of the suits of fair play called the home suit. Mm. So he noticed he was doing more dishes and he was doing more um, taking out the garbage and he was doing more um, bill paying, but he was actually not doing much with the kids. Mm. And so he wanted to take over a card in the magic suit, which is more about uh, sort of how do you connect with your family is how we connect is who we become. Uh, and so he takes on Tooth Fairy. And the first time that it's his, it's like his second, I don't remember second or third do- you know, tooth of his younger child, his younger daughter, the, um, the two-fair income. Hmm. So this is back to your communication, right? Because if people are saying, well, we don't communicate about domestic life, it's too triggering. Mm. What Amy realized was that she was someone who said that, I don't want to have these conversations, but what she realized was she was already communicating about domestic life because she calls herself a verbal assassin. What she would have done before Fair Play is said mm. to Richard, okay, so you you don't give a shit about our kids um, like you never have. You know, you're always working... Um, you know, you can't even put a dollar under the pillow. You're the worst father ever. I knew that you would ruin the magic for our kids. like that's sort of the rumination she told me she would have said to him or the verbal mm-hmm. diarrhea or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. and Richard said to me uh that he would have actually his communication style would have been to avoid but also to blame Amy for not reminding him to get defensive, yeah and to blame her for not reminding him to put the dollar under the pillow. Mm. So that was their dynamic of how they communicated about domestic life. Post fair play, it's very small, but Amy says that she holds her tongue. She recognized that the part of the secret formula of boundary systems and communication is to have a system. The system is that Richard owns magical beings and you have to be able to let someone carry through their mistake. So he did that. He said, I own it. That was his first way to disarm her by saying, it's my bad. This was my card. I will handle it. And then she said, okay, well, if you're handling it, then you know, obviously you know it matters to our child, and I'm gonna step out. So Richard tells me he emails tooth fairy at gmail.com hmm. and thank God for this woman, because of course it's a woman out there who responds hmm. and she says, sorry, you know, supply chain issues because of COVID <laughs> or whatever. Um, I'm on a backlog of teeth, but when I'm late, I bring double the money. And Richard prints this email from the Tooth Fairy out for his daughter. And then he put the double the money under her pillow the next night. That's it. Small story, not Mm. 50 50, but a completely different way. Caitlin to look at how we can manage and connect with each other over these, um, important. They're not chores. This is our humanity.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's a beautiful, uh, example, like you said, it's a small thing, but obviously to a child, magical beings are very important. And, you know, if the child was excited about waking up to the money and all that. um, And I think that, you know, carrying through the mistake, I think is another thing that maybe keeps people from doing this. Like there's that, there's a meme that goes around where it's like, I want my husband to do the dishes, but he needs to do them my way. Or like, I'd love for somebody to load the dishwasher. No, not like that. You know, that sort of thing, because we all have like our own way of doing it. So I think that's a, a big part of it, too, is like... Being we got to give men
1: space. We got to yeah. give men space. I mean, I think the hardest thing for me to figure out in this process was that as much as women felt the mental load of being overwhelmed, men were not saying to me, this was in 17 countries, there was nobody really who said to me, I think my, ta- my wife's time is not valuable and um, I, she should do everything. There was really very, very few... People like that. Most men married to women or partnered with women were telling me that the reason they don't do more in the home is because they can't get anything right. Yeah. Because they don't know their role. And the workplace, we call that psychological safety. You talk about that. Um, We know that that's not a great place to live. Um, Even my Aunt Marion's Mahjong group feels more safe to me, Galen, because you don't, you know, the expectations, or if you don't bring snack twice, you're out. But the home has no expectations, especially mm. for men. And so it can be really, really, I think, um, troubling when men try to step in and um, sort of get that rebuke.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I can totally relate to that of things I've tried to do. And it's like I didn't do it the quote unquote right way. And I mean, our our, our life was is a little bit interesting in the sense that I was a stay at home dad for two and a half years. So yeah. for two and a half years, it was my job to, you know, do a lot of things around the house. Uh, laundry cooking kids so then when i went back to work i thought oh like i've got this figured out and mm. i didn't at all like it just defaulted back to this new setup that was emma doing more around the house than me and 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 i mean more importantly than more it's more of like we just didn't have that conversation of like what does life look like now like i'm going back to work like and that thing of minimum standard of care like it's more important to Emma that we have fresh meals every night than it is to me. I'm like, I could have sandwiches probably like five days a week <laughs> and, still, and still be okay with it. Like, I wouldn't be worried about it. But she's like, no, like, it's just something that's, it just, it's just a value to her. So now, now I get it. So like in our case, I cook Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and she cooks the rest of the week. And it's like, but now we've had a conversation about it. So we know.
1: And by um, the way, I love that you said it's a value to her because- Very few people in my conversations 10 years ago when I started this knew any stories about their partner when I brought them up about the fair play cards. Mm. So it was so interesting because I would say, like, where did your your partner travel when they were a kid? I don't know. I would say, who were their best friends in first grade? No idea. What's their extended family look like? Well, I met a couple of them. Not sure. What values did their parents instill in them? I don't know. Mm. So it was shocking how little we know about each other, right? But we assume because we're partnered, we know so much about each other. So what I would say is that if this conversation feels overwhelming to you or you don't know where to start, a great place to start is to use the fair play cards, not to divvy up the systems of unpaid labor yet. That's You can go back to episode one to hear sort of more about (laughs) the nitty gritty of how you do that. But I think really the best way to start is to just pull one card out of the 100. Um, and again, you can find them online at Fair Play Life there, you could find them uh, in the book, but pull a card and just start asking questions. Yeah. So what you said about fresh meals, like, well, do you know what Emma would say about why fresh meals are important <laughs> to her? Did her family grow up on a farm? Did she <laughs> have a family that cooked? Like, do you have any idea why?
0: Yeah, it's a good question because I, and it was something I was going to say is that I find that sometimes the things that we care about, we care about them because our family didn't care about them. Exactly. And sometimes, exactly, yes. like, so I know people who are really, it's really important for them to have good food because their family didn't have good food growing up. And yeah, then other times, yeah. it's a continuation of what was important. Like,
1: a hundred percent. You know,
0: so like in our case, I think it's a continuation of what was important to Emma's family, which was um, her mom was around making dinner pretty much every night. And still, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, they live in the same town as us, so I'm pretty sure she still pretty much cooks and fresh meal every night. And in my house, that was not the case. It was not. It was yeah. a lot of leftovers. It was fine. I mean, I was like a lot of sandwiches, a lot of, you know, TV dinners here and there. So I didn't grow up with it being all that important. Um, But I'm pretty sure for him, it would be a continuation of that. Like, you know, whether it's and sometimes I don't think it's super um a conscious decision, right? It's just kind of like, this is just how things go. Like, this is how we do things. So, and it was just- Exactly, but it's not,
1: (laughs) right. But it's also not conscious because (laughs) it is, like you said, I think it's so beautiful, your insight, that it's a continuation of either a reaction to the past or a continuation of what someone saw and their value system that was set. And so how important to really, for your own self, to really understand, like, are you a a pattern disruptor? Is it, was this a good value that you had? Um, Because I, I, I'm sort of like you, I I grew up as a latchkey kid and we Mm -hmm. made dinner for ourselves. So many nights, Lucky Charms was my dinner. And so Seth will say to me, you know, like, you can't assume that the only green our kids will eat is like a a shamrock marshmallow, you know? And so then I'll be like, well, if you care about it, then you should do it. Right. And then That's the problem, because if you start doing that and you start to dismiss someone else's values, then that's why um, things often go um, south. And that's why the beauty of um, I think what Galen said in the beginning is so important that this all comes down to these conversations about your minimum standard of care. Your why. Why do you do things this way? And I think it makes you so much more empathetic to come to a compromise. It doesn't mean I'm asking you to rinse every single dish perfectly before it goes in the dishwasher every second. But if there is, if you are home and it's COVID and and one, you brought up the dishes, but I think I had another woman say to me her breakthrough with her partner, the conversation was around the fact that um, for her... uh, during the pandemic, she couldn't control anything.
2: Mm. Her
1: life felt completely out of control. Her bosses kept changing. Um, Her kids were out of school. And so for her, dishes and the mess around the house was the only thing they can control during COVID. And so she had a heightened awareness of wanting things to be clean in a way that maybe didn't affect her before. But I thought it was so beautiful that she was able to start to think about why and, and the articulation around, wow, you know what? My life is chaos right now. So mm. I can only control dishes and, and the toys that are on the floor. And her partner really was receptive to that, to that why.
0: Yeah. No, I think I really love what you said when um, you said that if it's so important to you, then you do it. I think that was sort of like, that was my default around meals. A hundred percent. I was like, if you care so much about them eating, like cooking every single night, like, go for it. Like it's go not my it. problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we had the conversation and sort of like changed that. And it was really funny. Cause when we first got married, like the first night after our honeymoon, uh, MMA dinner and I joined her and I was like, Oh, this is cute. Our first night in the apartment, and, like we're cooking dinner together. And then the next night she's like, all right, uh, you know, come help make <laughs> dinner, and I was like, "We're doing that again."
2: Yeah, <laughs> I was, like,
0: again. <laughs> I was right. like, "What? We're gonna do that again like that?" For me, it was like maybe it was a simple meals. Yeah, it's so like, like two like,
1: hours. No, but I, I feel the same way. Like when I the idea of cooking, <laughs> like wasting two hours, I'm like, "This is gonna happen every day." You have to be fed like fresh food every day. Yeah. I agree with you. So, the, but the problem is like <laughs> if you if you end up married with two people yeah. who have the exact same values, right? Then you and I, if we were together, we would die. You know what I mean? So in a way, it's sort of nice when you have a partner that has um, other values to bring into the conversation, because then your eyes can open up. Like same thing for Seth. Like when he said that a vegetable was important, I started to think, oh, when was the last time I actually ate a vegetable? And it was probably, (laughs) I don't know, years, years, years earlier. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely wouldn't. My kids would not be that healthy if they were having uh, TV dinners every night. <laughs> so totally, totally. Yeah. And so another thing I wanted to um, ask about, like in uh, so in relation to um, like skipping to the conversation around unicorn space. Um, so that was a concept that I was really enamored of in Fair Play. And then you wrote a whole other book about it, unicorn mm, space, yes. which I loved as well. And, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, you know, really straight from you, uh, your take on like, how do fair play and what is unicorn space first? And then like, how does fair play help, uh, create unicorn space?
1: Well, I think I was so alarming to me, um, back to the fact that I didn't think I would be a gender division of labor expert. I really didn't think a sequel to fair play would be a book about creativity. I thought the sequel would be, uh, implementing the similar, um, similar fair play concepts for the workplace, especially uh, Mm. for sole proprietors or people who have partners, because um, I just actually got an email from someone who is a consultant for medical practices and says, if there's two doctors, who's the one who's supposed to pay the bills? Who's the one who's supposed to secure insurance? Who's the one whose name is on the lease? Um, Is it an LLC? Like there was all these questions about fair play for, for business, um, and so I am getting into that now, um, where my premise is that the workplace is um, has much more invisible work than people think. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be helpful for people to know that before they get into business with someone else.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: or if they are already in business with someone else to clarify those expectations. Um, so that's that's sort of the legal governance stuff I do with my clients. So bringing that back was to me the secondary and most important thing next. But what happened and why creativity became the sequel, not that, was because so many people said to me, I'm gaining time back for fair play. Like our our home is becoming so much more efficient, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: I'm wasting that time. Mm -hmm. I'm using it now. You know, my leisure time feels terrible. I'm... You know, I'm drinking mommy juice, you know, I'm numbing my way through the weekends. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm taking edibles, I'm binge watching Netflix, I'm um taking on more work. So there was no space to even contemplate and dream, Galen, about what what this time for themselves could be. And this happened across genders. And yes, some men are better at saying, okay, I'm gonna go golf, right? Golf is a great unicorn space because it has the three things that I'm talking about. It's not friendships. It's not just self-care. I walk around the block. Unicorn space are the things that light you up, but that have three things. They have curiosity. I wonder if I can get that ball in the hole. They have connection. You do it with others. I'll bring other men along with me to put the ball in the hole. And completion. You know, I completed nine holes. So this idea of living a life that has curiosity, connection, and completion and I joke about golf, but I think we all need to carve that time out for ourselves. But in midlife, it's so hard. Yeah, Maybe we do it once a year on a golf trip or a girls trip. But this idea of being consistently interested in our own life as being the antidote to burnout is a lot harder message for people to hear. And that's why it became an entire book.
2: Yeah, that
0: was, that's yeah, you know, very interesting. And so, what was the last thing you said? Consistently interested in your own life. What was the line? You, what was what you said? Yeah.
1: So, so I wish I'm. I'm here to tell you, I wish I really could tell you that a drink with a friend or <laughs> a once a year trip would solve the burnout that we're all mm-hmm. feeling. But actually, the only way to do it is is to be consistently interested in your own life. That consistent interest in your own life is how you solve burnout. And we can talk a little bit about more about yeah. that. But I think the the hard part was I would ask people in midlife, when was the last time you can tell me the most important thing you did that day
2: mm. was
1: outside your roles as a professional, yeah. a partner, a parent? And so many people said to me, "I there's not even a day I can remember where I did anything. Yeah outside of being a partner a parent or professional. <laughs> yeah. And by professional, I mean anybody who's a stay at home parent Yes, uh, working not for pay or somebody who's a professional and they're working for pay.
0: Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And I think, and I remember one of the things we talked about, which hit me was the difference between uh, self-care and unicorn space. And I remember that some examples either you gave me or we were talking about, but it was like self, uh, self-care, uh, is like eating a piece of pie, but uh, unicorn yes. space is baking it. Yes, or exactly. self-care is like listening to a podcast, but unicorn space is creating it. Like, in my case, I think you used that example for me. Yes. um yes. and I do find that interesting because certainly, I think again, like coming to the conversation around what happens by default is when there's extra room in our calendars, if we're not really conscious of how we're going to use it, like I'm probably going to doom scroll on Facebook or something totally, like, and like laugh yes. at reels, which isn't, it's not necessarily a negative thing, but then I look at the end of the year and it's like, oh, did I take the time to learn how to play the guitar? Or did I take the time to go for more hikes? Like, did I do all those things that really light me up uh, as, as opposed to the default of like how I'm going to just fill time?
1: Exactly. And I think that that's what happens is that it our time does get filled and often it's, um, you know, sort of to nerd out Um, these active pursuits we're talking about. The reason why they're so important is because that curiosity, connection and completion, what it does for us is we see people report that they um, have happiness activities without meaning. Mm. And that's often the hedonic pursuits that we're talking about, like doom scrolling, binge watching TV, drinking. And then we have people who report a lot of meaning without happiness. And that's people who are often taking care of kids. Right. I would say. Mm. And we know from studies that people would rather be in a root canal chair than be with a toddler, which is how how I feel. So <laughs> um, it's it's hard to find those activities where we can where happiness and meaning sort of intersect, mm and that often comes why it's not self-care is because it has to have a share with the world component. Mm. There has to be some version of this is a little scary to me, or I can't believe I'm doing this. Mm. Um, That sort of sharing with the world piece is, is how we know we're sort of intersecting with that meaning and the purpose. And that's why um, it's a little esoteric to say it that way. That's why I always say to people, you know, it's 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 a combination of the curiosity, connection, and completion. That's why I said to you, it's your podcast mm-hmm. is a unicorn space because you're curious about a topic, you're connecting with guests and your audience, and then you do the hard part of completing an episode and <laughs> editing it and actually putting it out there.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: those three things um, are not so easy, right? There are some people who say, I don't even know what I'd be curious about anymore. Yeah. But there's others who say I'm super isolated and so they don't have the connection. And there's other people who say I have a million of unfulfilled dreams, mm-hmm. but um, like playing the guitar or getting a hole in one and golf or whatever it is, but um I don't have the time to practice or to complete those dreams. So it's important to think about why, why we're losing curiosity, why mm-hmm. we're more isolated than ever why we are living in unfulfilled dreams, like what's preventing us from living that sort of space that, and that's why I call it unicorn space because it's like a mythical being. It's like (laughs) the mythical equine is beautiful and it's magical, but it doesn't fucking exist (laughs) until we reclaim it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and there's a, um, Sort of uh, something that ties into Fair Play and Unicorn Space in my life that I hadn't shared. I wanted to wait until the episode to share with you another breakthrough we had as a couple or at least a, a result of things. So when we first read Fair Play, Em and I both had either quit or been laid off, like pretty much at the same time. Emma quit a job she hated and I'd been laid off like I'd been downsized uh, to a to a role in my company. And so it was a real um, upheaval in our lives. And so I went from, But there was some there was an element of like, I kind of knew how much money I was gonna make doing what I was doing, because it's like something i had done before. But Emma had no clue. She was starting from scratch. Like she didn't know if she wanted to be a web designer, like graphic designer, Mm -hmm. infographic designer, like she tried everything. So fast forward four or five years. So so sorry. So right around that time, I just kind of said, well, Emma just has to kind of do everything because like, we don't know if how much money she's going to make. We don't know if her business is going to work. But we know that I have a somewhat tried and true approach mm-hmm. where I can actually make some money and start replacing our income. Well, fast forward. So then we divided things. We've read Fair Play. And I'm like, this is not a great approach. Like, I can't just give everything to Emma to take care of because I'm the one who's making money. So uh, fast forward a couple of years, I I, it's it freed Emma up to spend more time to figure out what she was going to do business wise. So she tried a few different things and now she's um, very well established with her business and a goal of like replacing the income she made at the corporate job she left that she hated. And I don't think if we had, if we had not read fair play, I don't think that would have happened. Like, I think she would have been so bogged down by the stuff that's going on in the house that I don't think she would have been freed up to really figure that out. And we wouldn't have gotten where we are today.
1: Oh, well, I'm going to cry because that to (laughs) me is that, that space that you gifted her is, I mean, it's why I I will predict that. That's first of all, why I love you guys as a couple, um, as you know, but also I, I just wish more people understood that these short-term investments lead to these long-term returns. You know, it, it's so important. And so many people, you know, are thinking about the life-changing magic of organizing their junk drawer or whatever, <laughs> but they don't really think about this life-changing magic of long-term thinking. And I feel the exact same way. I feel that for me and Seth, because as my son told me, one of the most Google searches, I don't know how he knows this about Seth, my, me, he like looks up our family is, is Eve Rodsky still married? Um, And yes, I am. But the the ability for Seth to understand the burdens and to help me lift some of these really hard burdens is literally why I feel like I can Mm. be who I need to be. And I'm so much happier and I get to change the world and be income producing and all the things that I think a lot of men are concerned with when they are the sole breadwinner. Like what happened to my partner? this one man said to me, and I understand him. And I said, talk about in the book, you know, you know, when I would say, are you proud of your partner? I started noticing this pattern of men saying to me, she's an amazing mother. Mm. And I would say, that's awesome. That's a role. Keep going. And then they would say, well, I couldn't do it without her. I say, okay, that's like a personal assistant. So (laughs) keep going. Like uh, what, what else? And then all of a sudden they would pause and say, well, she, you know, used to be, she was the top graduate in her Wharton business class. Or, And I was like, you're talking about an accomplishment 20 years ago. Like you're telling me there's nothing you can tell me you're proud about from your partner other than their roles at this moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and people think that that's the relationship they want, but it's really, it's completely not. <laughs> so yeah. I'm the ghost of Christmas future to say, if you think that you want a relationship where you're the sole breadwinner and the person that is doing everything else? You don't want that relationship because at the end of the day, you're going to wake up and say, I don't have the per- I'm not married to the person that I that I mm-hmm. thought I was married to because right. they have no time, no time to be themselves.
0: Yeah, that's really important from that perspective and like around that of like, what does that person become when they leave behind sort of a lot of the things that um Th- they did when you fell in love with them or met them. So that's pretty interesting. And in my case, like we've taught him and I've talked about this where like I have a, r- I have in my world income fluctuates a lot. Like I don- I'm not a salaried employee. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a business owner. So I don't know what things will look like any given year. I didn't know how COVID would affect things. You know, like so many things, like I'm not just sitting around collecting a salary, but when she, when her business started taking off, it was a very new experience for us. Of like, Oh, and for me, it's like, it's not just all on me. Like if I have a bad month or a bad quarter or whatever, there's buffer there, like yeah. it's both of us contributing, and it's definitely changed things, like a hundred percent. And it's not—I'm not saying that's necessarily the goal of everyone who's in a similar situation, but I think that Emma, you know, she left a job as a chemical engineer, like highly educated, highly proficient at streamlining uh, processes, and then was like, okay, how can I keep using this skill set? And I think that if she mm-hmm. hadn't figured that out, she would have been quite unfulfilled in that arena of her life of, you know, am I really creating something or producing something that's, that's helping people?
2: So I yeah, didn't know
1: that was her background, which is I, not ironic, but it's actually very much consistent with my data, which is that the people who ultimately gravitated towards fair play were people in science, people in the military, and people who uh, had backgrounds in sports because they understood this idea of what systems can do for you when you sort of mm-hmm. trade, trade assumptions, for structured decision-making tools. Um So it's interesting that she's an engineer.
0: Oh, yeah. Like systems is her dream. Yeah, so is, like yeah. the cards and everything resonated. Exactly. Completely. So, so, so love her. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. And I know she found like for first her first reason was I think she was basically going through all of Reese Witherspoon's books, like what the books yeah, that Reese yes. Witherspoon was, was promoting. And then she saw this one. And I think that's what happened is then she got yeah. it from the library, brought it home, read it lovingly nudged me to read it and it took me a little while to listen to her and read it. <laughs> but yeah, I know the process is, yeah, I that makes sense that
2: people it's,
1: look it. it's a long. you know, this is the, the good news is that if anything good in life is a practice. And I think that's the most important thing. Fair play. What we're talking about today is a practice. If you're hearing this mm-hmm. for the first time, you know, it can feel overwhelming. How can I implement systems if things have been the same as you know, you said yeah. earlier, But I think the beauty of these conversations is that just even the awareness that it could be different, it could look different, I think is so empowering because, you know, this took me, this is 2023, you know, I started this journey with Seth in 2011. So it's it's definitely not a a short-term investment, but similar to exercise. Um, You know, there are some people when I would talk to them about their systems, the division of labor, they would say to me, well, yeah, I had the conversation with Galen, you know, 10 years ago, and it just didn't go well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It sort of like reminds me of going into a doctor's office and saying, like, how's your exercise practice and saying, yeah. well, I ran, you know, in 1999, and I didn't like it. And like, so I've, yeah. ne- I've never, <laughs> I've never tried to move again, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Practices are practice, right? I mean, they they have to be consistent, there has to be um, a commitment to Coming back to the table. And so that's why I did fair play as a game, because Mm -hmm. I thought, well, if you're going to have to come back to the table, if it's a practice, at least we can make it fun.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I love how you said about implementation. It's like, grab one card and get curious about okay, what do you think should happen here and why? And like really discover, I mean, we learned a lot about each other during the process of of going through those cards of like, you know, like a lot of assumptions about what was important and why, but not really having any sort of structured conversation around it, which made it very different.
1: Yeah, well, I'm so glad, you know, like I said, what's so wonderful about the conversations, I think is, are that you just... Some of the joy is is in realizing that a lot of these cards, as we said earlier, are not just chores and housework. They are our core memories. They are mm. humanity. Uh, they make us who we are. Like some of my most formative memories are in a gro- are in a grocery store, mm. like being in Pathmark with my mother in the Lower East Side <laughs> and having it be freezing. I remember the produce sections and her teaching me what a unit price was because we couldn't afford, you know. The nicer things. Um I always just wanted like tide or one of the yeah, things yeah. that had color. I guess we would, like pick up the no frills brand for detergent. And yeah. I was like, why do we just have to get no frills spaghetti? Um, so you know you but I you can learn a lot about somebody. Even if you yes. surprise a colleague and say to them, you know, I've been doing these cards like what, what, what who did the grocery shopping in your house growing up? you know, there's a lot of fun. Um, And I would say that if you're listeners, you know, if you have business partners, you know, if you're in a business practice where there's partners or other people that are in that practice, um, even just starting to like ask these questions of them is really interesting.
0: Mm, Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, I love this conversation of um, fair play unicorn space. I think that unicorn space is really, I think it's um, like you said, there's some like, what? what is it that we've lost this ability to sort of, or either lost or just don't have, of, like, seeking, uh, specifically seeking out ab- ways to engage in our curiosity and connection? And uh, I think uh, it's a very, a very good question and, like, a great thing to explore. And... um Yeah. So what, what's next? Like to kind of wrap it up, like what, what's Mm -hmm. next for Eve and discoveries that you're up to?
1: (laughs) Well, I would say, um, obviously, as you know, we had a, um, Jennifer Newsom. I was part of a documentary called Fair Play. So Mm -hmm. if this is interesting to you, but you're like, I don't read, uh, you know, you can find Fair Play on Hulu. I would say it's a really fun watch. Um, because a lot of the couples, I think you'll at least resonate with some of what they're um, arguing about. And sort of, mm-hmm. it's just sort of a little bit more humorous. Um, and then I'm really now thinking about since the pandemic, right? What is the future of work? What does it look like mm-hmm. if we can understand work as important on- ownership tasks, similar to fair play, um, as opposed to just this? E- you know amorphous i go to work uh so really breaking that down is what i'm looking at now and that's my goal is to write a book about fair play for the workplace very cool
0: yeah And i love that because it all ties together like i mean it's one of those things where wherever you're spending your time whether it be at work or at home or with friends like can be influenced by these approaches right so yeah i'm worthy, excited i'm excited yeah. i'll
1: give, i'm going to give you the cards and maybe some of your listeners will be beta testers for me so if Absolutely. you're in a uh, self-proprietorship or you have a partner, um, in a practice, uh, please reach out to me on DM at Ebrodsky. I'd love for you to test out the cards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's make sure everyone knows where to find out more about you. Um, yeah. I follow you in lots of different places. So yes, let's yes. make sure everyone knows where to, where to find <laughs> yes. out where to get more. Yeah. So go for it.
1: So, um, I'd say at fair play life is on Instagram is probably the most fun place to follow us, but, um, sort of the more angry dark version is my um, personal Instagram at Eve Rodsky. But definitely we answer DMS there. And um, we're always looking for more, more data. So
0: absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on here. I always love exploring these topics and like really looking at how they can make a difference in people's lives as they have in mine and Emma's and our kids lives. So thank you so much. And
1: for thank you, you Emma out there. We <laughs> appreciate you so much. Um, thank you for getting to know me over the pandemic
0: so absolutely awesome take care bye Bye. thank you so much for having joined me on this episode of a clean bill of wealth podcast I truly appreciate you taking the time to do so it really warms my heart to see the numbers of people listening to each episode go up and it's just a lot of fun be sure to check back through past episodes to find insight on everything from more efficient charting practices to better sleep for physicians and much more If you'd like to make sure you're leveraging your corporation effectively for taxes, retirement, legacy, and other financial matters important to physicians, please head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com to check out the work that we do with fee-based planning. Our fee-based plans are powerful, customized to you, and there is no requirement to buy products from us and no hidden commissions. You get clear, unbiased recommendations based on our expertise helping hundreds of incorporated Canadians, just like you, create their ideal financial life and future. Again, it's galenhelpstocks.com. Click on the book a call button at the top for a quick and free conversation to find out whether fee-based planning makes sense for you. Thanks so much for joining me. Take care and see you the next episode.